The Pixies, or Pixies, for you purists out there who are like, you can't put a the in front of it. Pixies were one of the most important bands of my youth. And after they were done, I was like, well, that's the worst thing that's ever happened. Except then we got Frank Black and his various incarnations, and we got the Breeders. Eventually we got a Pixies reunion, and now Pixies are back together without Kim Deal or her Breeders. But that's a great way to start this edition of The Brian Oak Show, episode 23 not sure how that happened, but here we are recording in the Smart Start MN studios, looking forward to a rather informative and newsworthy and journalism with a capital J guest a little later on. And that was straight sarcasm because if there's <laughs> anybody who ever wanted to really say what was in his heart, but was bound by the constraints of journalism, it's this guy. I'm very much looking forward to checking in with Bob Collins shortly. Before we get there, though, let's go ahead and thank a couple people. Speaking of Smart Start MN, if you get a DUI, you are for anyone you know, your life is going to become considerably more difficult. Now, you know it was a bad idea, right? What they do, Smart Start MN, is who are they? They are a company run by a couple of local lawyers, Mike Friedberg and Ed Cohen, and they do an amazing job, and they were the original Minnesota Ignition Interlock Company, which means you basically have a breathalyzer put in your car. Now, if you make the mistake of getting a DUI, it happens. It happens to the best and the most mediocre of us. <laughs> if you will. Um, and then, but the thing that, that's nice about this is A, not only do they get you back in your vehicle way sooner than you'd possibly expect to be allowed to, but it's a good reminder. Every time you have to blow into that thing, you're like, you know what? Drinking and driving is a really terrible idea. But if you've done it, if someone you know has done it, if someone that you know, you know, friend of a friend of a friend has done it, please have them contact Smart Start MN. The best place to start is smartstartmn.com slash Brian Oak Show because they will give you a deal. Is that correct? Yeah, Sean? 20% off the installation. Okay. And so uh, go to their website and go to, like you said, smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. You can also get there by clicking on their banner on thebrianoakshow.com. It's just, it's a good deal and they do really good work. The, the thing that you always bring up, Sean, that I think is important, you already feel pretty conspicuous if you've had a DUI and they're not there to shame you. This is their job. Their job is to get you back into your vehicle, back on the road, because sometimes in certain scenarios, it can be months before you have your license back or allowed back in your vehicle. They can have you back in mere days. The details are available over at smartstartmn.com. They do good work and they help remind you that that was a bad idea and let's never make that choice again especially in this day and age when there are so many other transportation options also want to thank uh great river radon mitigation radon sounds like a a Japanese monster, although that's Rodan. Okay, so all you have to do is, is flip-flop the uh, flip-flop the vowels there. But radon is something, it's a radioactive molecule that is given off when certain things decompose, like granite. And we have a lot of granite here in the upper Midwest. And it turns out an alarming number, and again, not trying to use scare tactics, but an alarming number of homes in your basement especially, have radon in them. Now, why is that a concern? Well, it's odorless, colorless. You know, I was going to say if radon could come up and bite you, but it may be biting you right now and you have no idea because there's not any way to detect it unless you're actually a professional like they are at Great River Radon Mitigation. The leading cause of lung cancer in non-smokers is exposure to radon gas, and that's according to the EPA. Uh, that And they made that report long before they were gutted by the current administration. So <laughs> that it was actually scientifically valid. You don't want radon in your home. You don't want lung cancer. What do they do? They show up and do a test. And if you don't have radon, hooray, everything's fine. You move on with your life. If you do, you need to get rid of it. It's not okay to have that down there, even if 
almost nobody goes down to your family room anymore because it's too cold down there, especially in the winter. But winter, when we've got things locked up, when everything's closed up, that's actually when it becomes a concern. So what we want you to do is get a hold of Laurie from Great River Radar Mitigation, whose number is 612-701-2216. And if you mention the Brian Oak Show, they give you a deal on the bit. They absolutely do on the test itself, and then, of course, their price uh, to actually mitigate the radon, should you have it, is very low compared to what I've seen as a realtor. Absolutely. So, Great River Radon Mitigation, Smart Start MN, the two early adopters of the Brian Oak Show, thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to start out tonight, before we get to our featured guest, talking about something that hit me very, very hard earlier this week. Growing up, um, I admit well, and not just growing up, I suppose it continues to this day, a uh, bit of a nerd. I loved playing Dungeons & Dragons. I loved finding things, whether it was like early uh, entrees of Japanese animation like uh, Speed Racer, things like that, but also British television like Prisoner Cell Block H. It was so it was on UHF. Now, this is going to be weird. Gather around, kids. Grandpa's <laughs> going to tell a story. But before there was cable, you had your three major networks. You had public television. And then if you were lucky, a couple of UHF stations somewhere way up there on the dial. And they would sometimes feature things like Dark Shadows and Prisoner Cell Block H. But public television featured something very early on, this bizarre, surreal, unbelievable biting satire of a show called Monty Python's Flying Circus. And Monty Python, I have to admit, early on was one of the bonding points for me and my dad. My parents, when they, when I was very young, before my sister even being born, they were highly social. So we're going to the party, but they don't have a babysitter. So where am I? I'm laying on the big king-size bed in the master suite next to a pile of jackets while all I can hear is the loudness and the drinking and the cavorting downstairs. But dad would bring me up there and kind of get me to settle down and try to find something on TV on the small black and white in the bedroom. And I remember with almost impossibly distinct clarity the first time I saw Monty Python Flying Circus uh, laying next to that pile of coats and... I couldn't get my head around it. First of all, not only was there a giant hedgehog marching (laughs) through the city in Terry Gilliam's animation, but another point in the animation, there was a naked lady's booby and it was at the time when you're that young you don't even need that's not even a sexual feeling you just know you're looking at something forbidden and it felt good then so a lot of the humor was lost on me then but i spent my youth and then growing up watching it on the regular on uh public television here in the twin cities and then watching the movies as they came out and becoming more and more familiar with the original five six if you count terry gilliam python players and it is informative it changed it it literally changed my life and there aren't very many cultural events or phenomena that i can that i can say that that's true about and it's okay to be silly and stupid and funny all at the same time and that's what i loved i did the same thing with my dad i said we were both in stitches not not everybody in the family dug Python. But not everybody digs English humor. I know, but my dad and I would both be in stitches over different different things in there, which I absolutely loved. It was a great, great time to bond with the old man. Well, and what was great is they were so subversive, you know, to be, especially when you're talking about state-run broadcasting like the British, uh, the BBC was back then, you, you had to make it seem so silly that nothing real could be happening here. But that's the whole point of satire, right? Like there was, there were intelligent messages being delivered. They were absolutely subversive, but they were also completely cornball. So the shows were great. And then the forthcoming movies would be amazing. Well, earlier this week we lost Terry Jones who probably would be I would say 
this might be overstating it, but probably the least well-known on the surface to casual fans. And he he was the guy. He did the loud screech. Well, they all did cross-dressing and loud screeching yes. women. But his was based on his mother. And he he wrote almost more of the bits than anybody else. He also, once they got to the movie-making phase, was the director. Yes. For instance, the, the song we're about to hear comes from the life of Brian. You know, I made a post just a couple of days ago on Facebook that in the last 30 days, we've lost Neil Innes, who wrote all of the important songs from the Python movies. And then Terry Jones, who directed all the Python movies. I mean, we're, we're, we're obviously going to keep losing people. That's the way it goes. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into, into the, the future. future. Exactly. Yeah. Although I have a friend who argues that it's actually slipping into the past, but I don't want to really get into <laughs> I'm not really into time space right now. I'm more celebrating this cornball. But it, it, it hit me harder than I expected that Terry Jones was gone. Now, he suffered from dementia for years, and people knew he was in ill health, which is... A terrible, terrible thing to have happen, especially to such a sharp, articulate mind, but it happens to a lot of people. But losing Terry Jones really punched me in the gut, and so it made me think about what I consider his masterpiece, The Life of Brian. And when The Life of Brian came out, it was considered blasphemous, especially by the establishment over in the UK. You cannot mock the life of Christ. And if you watch all these interviews online, at no point were they mocking the life of Christ. They were mocking the life of this guy who suddenly found himself going down the same path who was not of divine origin, who had no miraculous abilities, and who wanted nothing less than to be adored by these throngs of people. But, of course, there's no way you can do that without people um, being offended. And I think one of the most offensive scenes was the very end where they finally capture Brian and crucify him along with a bunch of others, including Eric Idle, who is sitting right behind him and singing this almost impossibly beautiful and for me, one of the most spiritual songs I've ever heard in my entire life. Some things in life are bad, they can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble, give a whistle. And this'll help things turn out for the best. Aim. Always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always look on the bright side of life Come on Always look on the bright side of life For life is quite absurd And death's the final word You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your seat Give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow. So always look on the bright side of death. Just before you draw your terminal breath. Life's a piece of shit when you look at it. Life's a laugh and death's a joke, it's true. You'll see it's all a show, keep them laughing as you go. 
Just remember that the last laugh is on you. And always look on the bright side of life. Eric Idle right there, who I've seen live in concert a couple times. You know, once I was lucky enough to, uh, the people at the Northrop reached out to me like, hey, John Cleese is coming through and he's going to show Monty Python and the Holy Grail. He's doing this tour and then we need someone to moderate an hour and a half conversation with him afterwards. Would you like to do that? And I... First of all, after pooping myself a little, uh, because I can't, I can't overstate how much Monty Python means to me. I can't overstate it. Um, I was terrified. I'm like, I, I'm not qualified to talk to one of the funniest people I've ever experienced in my entire life. But because I was so scared, I said yes anyways, because who would pass up that opportunity? A fool would only. And so I did it, and it went, it went brilliantly. It was, it, he was, what's great about guests that powerful and that intelligent and that experienced is all you have to do is not poop yourself. Throw up a couple softballs, and they will wow the room. And it was uh, it was one of the great experiences of my life. My dad, who, as we talked about, bonded with me over Monty Python at a very young age, was out of town, lives out of town, and flew into town for that one night and flew out the next morning. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. But right there, we're paying tribute to Terry Jones, who we just lost, one of the original Pythons. And as they wrote on the official Python page, two down, four to go, because that is the kind of gallows humor that those people are into. I'm Brian. By the way, that is Sean right there. How are you, Sean? I'm doing really well. Good. Um, Before we get to our guest, let's go ahead and take care of your part of the business here. You, in addition to being co-owner of The Brian Oak Show and proud producer, you're also a realtor at the 50th and France office of Edina Realty, uh, but you do serve the entire metro. As we get into this weather right here, I know that people think like, oh, this is the last time you ever want to be selling your home. and It it still happens though, right? It's happening all the time, actually doing the... uh an open house on Saturday for two hours in uh, prestigious West Bloomington. Ooh, a la-ti-da. I look forward to that particular, uh, what do you call it, a, um, a percentage? What do you call it, a commission? Sure. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ask you one important question before yes. we get your contact details. One of the worst cliches I've ever heard, and maybe it's cl- a cliche like many are because it's real, but when it comes to realty, location, 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 is that true, or are there great homes everywhere? 
Uh, it means a ton. And what's funny is you go to most websites and all they talk about is the house. Yeah. And very few of them talk about the location, like what's around there. And so as a realtor, that's something that I try to do. I try to do my homework on the whole area, not just the house. They can go find out most of what they want. By seeing phenomenal high defi- definition pictures and sometimes videos of the house. Ooh, like those 360 pictures yes. where you can spin oh around. My gosh. And, yeah. and those make the room look 20 times yes, bigger than yes, it actually they do. Is. And sometimes there's Photoshop involved, we've uh-huh. learned. Um, but I love to be able to tell people about the neighborhood. Oh, here's a great burger joint just down the road. There's a bookstore two blocks away this way. And I've learned from my clients that that's what they want to know. Either they love the house or they, or they don't. Right. But they want to know, like, where's my stuff, especially if they're moving from a ways away. They want to know where am I going to find what's important to me around here. And so I try to provide that service and do a little bit more than maybe the average realtor does. Do you find that people are more interested uh, uh, in whether or not there's a close public library as as opposed to like a close trap house, like a close crack house? A lot of people want to know where the crack house is, but it depends on if they're buying or selling. And what you want to do is you want to buy low. And sell, and sell high. high. No, wait a minute. <laughs> sell high. No. <laughs> I get what you're saying. How do people get a hold of you, Sean? 612-859-2594. They can go to the Adana Realty, Realty website and look up Sean Barnard, S-E-A-N-B-A-R-N-A-R-D. Like. Thanks for tuning into the Brian Oak Show. You know, the Brian Oak Show for 25 years, that's a full quarter century. Uh, I was a radio guy here in the Twin Cities. And who knows, maybe one day again, but I'm not really counting on it. I'm kind of putting my eggs in this basket right now, and it's been fun. It's been terrifying, but it's been fun. But I've worked in a lot of different places, and I've met some exceptionally interesting characters. And one guy that I met at my most recent gig over at Minnesota Public Radio would join my dear friend Mary Lucia every Friday afternoon and bring a little news in. Was it every afternoon or every Friday afternoon? No, every afternoon. Every single afternoon? Yep. Well, you can tell that I was a huge fan of Mary's show. <laughs> well, and she hasn't worked Fridays for. Oh my God, years, that's right. You know? So it was actually literally yeah. every other day except yeah, besides Friday. Friday. <laughs> okay, all right then. Uh, in any event, obviously, I'm very informed and very prepared. Uh, my guest today is longtime Twin Cities. I don't know what would you like to be called. Would you like to be called a journalist? Would you like to be called a broadcaster? Bo- Bob Collins is name. Bob, it's nice to see you, and thank you thank for coming you. in. Thank you. Uh, journalist always has more of a haughty uh, flavor to it, right? Uh, but there was some some important I was nature. Blogging of what you... for a while, oh, blogging it was like 180 degrees opposite. So somewhere in between the two, okay. You know, curmudgeon works has always worked well. And well, I don't, so... I don't, I will never be the one to introduce that term. Yeah, but man, go through Bob's blog or his Twitter feed. Yeah. And it's hard to find someone who both finds the wonder in the world around us, <laughs> but is equally disgusted yeah. by it at the same time. So, Bob, you did not get me a bio, so we're going to go through it together, but we'll, right. make, we'll make All this right. the elevator speech version. Right. Um, where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from Massachusetts. All right. Very uh, good. Originally a little bit outside of Boston. I worked in, uh, went to school in, uh, you know, college in Boston, and then I worked in a bunch of different radio stations there because, of course... Back in the day, the only way to get a raise was to quit and then go somewhere else, right. you know, and so... That might um, still be the case, actually. Yeah, it probably is. So I started at this little station uh, in Southbridge, Massachusetts for 110 bucks a week as a, as a uh, disc jockey uh, six days a week, and what? then they let me be a news guy on Saturday mornings. What kind of music were you playing at that first station? Uh, it's just your typical crap from 1978. Whoa, 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 <laughs> it's like guy. Every radio station's last year, they yeah. got actual radio service from 
you know, the distributors. And so it's all Tom Jones crap and stuff like that. Wow, oh, man, you are. Little River Band. And, Whoa, know, Lonesome Sean. Loser, baby. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I got it. <laughs> I have a, I have I a soft spot in my heart. Get, of course, back then you had to talk over the intro. Of course. Do the ramp. So, and then you had to hit the post. I, I can still. Yeah. Yeah, to hit the post. Oh, I, I, I think I can still tell you. Uh, uh, the intro time for almost every song that came out in 1978. Well, these are heady days. Like, because I remember, like, when you first start, it's hard to believe. You're like, "This is what I want to do," but I can't believe it now. But they let you. So you did music six days a week, and then yeah. they let you do one news shift. And that's all I wanted to do was the news part and, well, because it, I didn't know anything about being a jock. And so, but so when did you? I mean, like, so right away you knew, like, I just want to do. I like to talk yeah. on the radio. I like putting these headphones on. Yeah, I and was going to be the sports guy. In fact, my ooh. high school yearbook. Uh, called me the voice of Boston sports, and uh, that's all I wanted to do was work in Boston as a sports guy. Well, it's a good sports and, town, from uh, what I understand. Uh, yeah, yeah, I it's mean, not a great only sports town, not I only never the town. In it as, I did work in Boston as a as an editor, but even ancillary but, uh, like markets yeah. and stuff. I mean, yeah. like there's oh, so they, much they happening love, out there. It's a whole different world, you know. And uh, but then I got interested. I was interested in news anyway. And, of course, the opportunities that were available, that was, you know, we're talking right after Watergate. Everybody and their brother wanted to be in the news business. Yeah. And so, and I didn't have a particularly good radio voice, so I knew I would have a hard time doing that. So when I got out of school, I, I knew I wanted to work in radio, so I took a job uh, selling advertising at this little station outside of Marlboro, which nobody uh, listened to. And I lasted two weeks because I, I hated it. So wow. Much. I just hated it. I know so. a few people who've been on air that have tried to make the transition to sales. Yeah, and, no, you know, some people are good at it. Yeah. Other people, they, they it chafes them. They, they can't do it. Yeah. And it's time to I, go. I didn't like walking into places where they didn't want to see me. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was actually walked out of a building by the elbow. And it was a car dealership of all places. They yeah. grabbed my arm and walked me out of Is the door and right? said, do not come back. Oh. And what was funny is I said, you know, I'm actually in the market for a car. And the guy's like, sure you are. Oh, I did buy a car at the dealership across the street, yeah. and I drove it over to the dealership <laughs> that walked me out, and I just sat there for a while. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm Irish like you are, yeah. and I was going to show him. <laughs> well, we're all Irish, and that's how that game works. Really you know, Sean, I've, I've met so long ago, uh, he's had lots of on-air experience, but he's also had a lot of sales experience. He's one of the few people I know that can sort of traverse that line and, and tolerate it. So then you are working around the area. You're working at these small stations. Is how it works for everybody when you start up. What got you to Minnesota? I worked in uh, Boston for a while till I got laid off. I worked in New York uh, down t- uh, down on uh, Broadway for a small uh, network. New York City. Yeah. Wow. And then I went back up to the Berkshires because my father-in-law owned a couple of small market stations, and they were trying to get uh, an FM license down in southern Berkshire County, down around Lenox, Great Barrington, Sheffield, that area, which is now basically a New York playground. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you mean for like the elite and the yeah, well-to-do? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. There's a lot of second home uh, New ah, Yorkers, big famous New Yorkers there. And then the, I did that for six years, and then the recession hit. And I said, you know, I don't really want to be working for family uh, when the only reason I'm working for my family is because I'm family. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I told my father-in-law, I want to get back in the news business. And at that time, I was moderating uh, the journalism forum on the old CompuServe. 
service. Wow. Yeah. And uh, 25 cents a minute it cost you to be on. I was going to say serve. the earliest days of yeah. the information superhighway. It was super highway. prodigy. Right. And, you know, and, uh, <laughs> what about Alta Vista? Come on. Uh, it hadn't come along yet. All right. All right. Very but, good. But uh, Lauren Amoto, who was the news director at NPR, sent me a note and he said, uh, have you ever thought about Minnesota? And of course I had not. <laughs> right, but he offered me a free a free uh, plane ride, and I figured, why not? Let's wow. go see what's out there. Well, I mean, and again, radio, even when it was a burgeoning industry, even when it was fat with agency cash, yeah. uh, you know, it was still a hard thing to get into, and it was still very desirable. Whether you wanted yeah. to be Venus Flytrap or Les Nessman, right? Yeah, and, and the only way you can survive in it is if everybody else gets laid off or or fired or or whatever There's and then that. one day you wake up and you think I lasted this long uh-huh. and now I've got experience and then that becomes the coin of the realm uh, and you have a track record, obviously. So before we talk else. about you landing in Minnesota, like obviously you came here, checked it out, you ended yeah. up here. Yeah. Why Why news? What attracted you to news? I mean, like, because I remember I, I did it long enough. I was there at the very end of those days, but the AP Newswire going off all the time, like yeah. that thing over there, like a ticker tape. Yeah. And you'd like take a look at the the seventh AP News Minute of the morning yeah. or the whatever the case was. Yeah. And no, I, I enjoyed was... reading that as well. But what appealed to it about you before you start getting to be an actual journalist and writing yeah. news? When you're sort of just reporting the news that other people are giving you, what yeah. appealed to, uh, to you about the, that? What got me interested was uh, Vietnam. Yeah. And so I'm growing up in the 60s, and, um, and of course the Vietnam War was everywhere on uh, TV. And going worse all the time. And getting worse all the time. And every Thursday morning they would release the body counts. Mm. It mm. was weird. It was like a sports report. And I watch TV religiously, mm. and uh, they would shoot. They would t- have a list. They'd put up a graphic. It would have the list of the number of South Vietnamese killed, the number of Viet Cong killed, the number of North Vietnamese troops, the number of Americans, and uh, and I just started following that sort of thing. And I found myself spending more and more time in front of television. I never ate with my family. I just grabbed the food, put it on a tray, and went in to watch the news. I don't think you were probably alone in that era, though. I mean, like, yeah. this was, yeah. it was horrific, but there was a detachment from it yeah. that you didn't have to. I mean, I, and it, it, so, it, you know, I, uh, and it was also the uh, space race. I wanted to be an astronaut. And so I watched all of the. You know, Mercury and Gemini and Apollo launches and, and fell in love with uh, uh, the Frank McGee's and the Jules Bergman's and those guys who cut their teeth on the space race. And I kind of wanted to be one of them uh, if I wasn't going to be an astronaut. Right. And uh, which oddly I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, so that was that was pretty much it. And then, of course, Watergate came along. Uh, 68 uh, got Everybody interested. If they weren't already interested in the news, they were all over it. As my draft number came up, you know, or became, I became eligible, of course, you know, you, you began to pay a little bit more attention uh-huh. to things. And uh, So you were in the sweet spot for a draft. Like, you had a draft much. number. Like, you, I, uh, you could have gone. The last two years, I was technically eligible. I think I was, like, number four. And then the one year, I think I was number 11. But they weren't drafting okay. that, uh, that year, those last two years. So, and, uh, so, so obviously, yeah. news is happening. You want to do it. Why? What What led you to radio as opposed to, I'm going to go be a newspaper Just guy? Just because I grew up with it, uh, I think. Uh, I grew up listening to uh, WBZ in Boston, a great, great radio station, which, by the way, has just been assassinated by... Uh, 
the old Clear Channel for what do they call iHeartMedia? Heart yeah, they've just laid everybody. Which, by on. the way, oh. if you'd like to listen to the Brian Oak Show, you can find it on iHeartMedia. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the well, nature. It's not like you'll be able to find WBZ in Boston. <laughs> well, which, which I mean, and, and that does suck. And that's that's yeah. also the nature of the work that you and I have done for many, many, many sure. years. Yeah. Is nothing is constant. You know, I find myself these days listening to WDGY, which sure. is a very different animal than yeah. it used to be. But they do a better, interesting mix of classic rock girl groups sunshine pop than any other station in this market i love them very very much you know and the longer you listen to radio or if you grew up in that era like i did uh you know they i know it sounds corny but they do become a part of you and you do begin to relate to them oh yeah and there's also that experience i mean i can remember listening to my local station which did a top 40 countdown every night and it wasn't just that uh uh you know i was going to hear the song i wanted to hear or even the song that i requested it was that I was engaging in this shared experience mm-hmm. with everybody else in my city uh, who was listening uh, to the same show, even though we weren't talking to each other. Um, I was, it, it was communal. And, uh, and that has always, for me, been the, the beauty of radio is, is the shared experience. It's not just the voice that's coming back out at you. It's, it's just that you're a part of, part of that and a part of something. That was a big deal. And, and that uh, right up until I retired last May. That was, yeah, well, and that you was, did retire. We're going to talk deal. more about that. I want to talk more about your time at Minnesota Public Radio. Uh, I also just want to throw in real quickly that one of my favorite things about the era you're talking about is it was still possible for there to be regional hits. Not everything yep. was. It was pre-MTV. It's obviously very pre-internet. But, like, you could have a song that made the top four of yep. your top 40 in this market or wherever you were, and someone in Montana has literally never heard that song Bob Collins is our guest, longtime journalist and broadcaster with Minnesota Public Radio. And I ask every guest that comes in to pick a couple songs that mean something to them, that are important to them for whatever reason. And I like this first one you picked because I don't know that I know the song, but also it's just been announced that James Taylor is kicking off a full-blown summer tour along with the artist you chose. The bad news is they're not coming here. Lots of artists, they're going to... Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio, but they're not coming to the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, going to Roanoke, Virginia, and nothing against Roanoke. I understand that was an early part of what happened, but um, so many bands, they tour and they're like, they hit Chicago and they're like, let's head south or let's head back east. So the more venues we create, the fewer artists are come here. Correct. We got the Fillmore yeah, coming up, yeah, which is we'd be yeah. a perfect size for this for this duo. So in any event, tell me about the song we're going to hear and tell me why you like it. Oh, I, I would say the uh, the early to mid seventies were, uh, of course. Again, I'm going through my angst of of uh, transitioning. Let it out. This is a, this is a safe to, place. <laughs> this is a safe place, Bob Collins. Uh, college relationships <laughs> and stuff. You know, that whole Peter Asher produced crowd, uh, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, even the Eagles, oh. uh, mm-hmm. uh, has always um, uh, resonated with me for some reason. I'm a, and I think I'm it's a deep Linda Ronstadt fan. There's a lot fan. of songs. I guess in that era. I was okay with songs that made me want to blow my head off. (laughs) 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 And and this particular one, I think Jackson Brown's wife committed suicide, uh, or died anyway. Yeah. And not long after, he came up with this. Well, let's go ahead and enter the heart of darkness with Bob (laughs) Collins on The Brilliant Oak Show. Here come those tears again. Just when I was getting over you Just when I was gonna make it through another night Without missing you 
choice right there. It's the Brian Oak Show. We're talking to Bob Collins. And before we get back to it, I just want to thank AudioQuip.com. AudioQuip.com are the nice people who have outfitted our entire Smart Start MN studios with nice microphones and decent gear to make it sound like, well, you know, there are certain podcasts you listen to where it sounds like, um, shit. <laughs> yeah, if, that works. If you'll pardon my use of the French. Um, and thanks to the good people at Audio Equip, that doesn't happen here. They provide audio for not only podcasts, mainly though for live events, corporate events. AudioQuip.com is where you can find out more about the work that they do and um, and what nice people they are. They're really good to work with. They are. I sent a message to Nate uh, yesterday uh, from Audio Equip, and it looks like he and some of the fellows are going to try to make it to the Ben Lubick event next Thursday. 
uh, January 30th from 530 to 8 over at the Hook and Ladder. We're having an event there for all of our Patreon supporters, all of our previous guests, all the people who have contributed in any way so far, which I guess, by the way, Bob Collins means you've got a date next Thursday. You're going to be joining us this coming Thursday at the Hook and Ladder to watch Ben Lubeck perform live, but at least once a month and, you know, more if the opportunity provides itself, less if things get a little scarce when everyone leaves in the summer. We'll just play it by ear, but we plan to have regular events for all the people who've gone to Patreon to support the Brian Oak Show. It's patreon.com slash Brian Oak Show. And that or be, find a way to make yourself a guest on the show. We'll get you in there. That's all you have to do. Hey, Bob, I was just going to mention, I, I was listening and I used to listen to you all the time with Mary Lucci. I worked with Mary for a short while when Brian and Mary uh, did mornings together at Zone 105. Um, uh, but only met her in passing because I was that yeah. sales guy that was constantly coming and going. But <laughs> that last uh, show with her. Uh, yeah, that was a moment. It was unbelievable, yeah, and was. I had not met yeah. you, and yeah. and yet that you relation. Anything. Well, that really no. Well, <laughs> we, I do miss I do miss you on there because yeah. the dynamic that you two had together, yeah, was, was so authentic, so genuine, and you just can't make that stuff up. People ask me all the time, "Do you miss working?" And I don't at all, <laughs> really, uh, except at four twenty. Yeah, uh, uh, Mary is, uh, as you know, Mary is just. Uh, There's nobody else greatest. like her. There's nobody else like her. Singular, and, you know, and she's a throwback, I think, to the radio I, I grew up with, and and I think I said that, you know, that day, and we were doing okay that day, um, just doing what we do, and then at the end, she talked about she had taken a leave of absence yeah. to deal with some issues. Mm-hmm. And she said when she came back, I was the first one she wanted to talk to um, because she knew I would understand. And nobody has ever said anything that nice (laughs) to me, ever, (laughs) ever. I mean, even the idea that I would be the first one somebody wanted to talk to. And so that's when we pretty well lost it. It was Uh, great as a listener and as a fan of the show to hear you you to hold back. Because I know you had to be yeah. neutral, and she tried to be a little neutral. Well, we didn't. We weren't very good at that. <laughs> but but uh, you could just but, hear yeah. the angst, and you guys just you know, kind of walked well, that's the line. The thing. You know, it's I, I, we lasted so long because the news director had no idea we were doing this <laughs> for like for, for like thirteen <laughs> years. Yeah. Right, right. And uh, one, she said to me a couple of years ago, how, "How often do you do that thing you do on the current?" And I said, "Every day." And she said, well, how long have you been doing this? And I said, 14 years, you know. And so, the <laughs> so we were able to director. get away with a lot of uh, uh, stuff. And, and uh, But I can't, I just can't be, uh, I can't live with that um, uh, fear that journalists live with uh, yeah. of ever having an opinion uh, because it's just so chicken shit. Really? Yeah, and and uh, so we we went right to the line, uh, uh, but we tried never to uh, cross it. But some things are self evident. Yes, they uh, are. And, and well, in, in subtext, and, uh, I think most of the listeners of the current, maybe not all, but most of them, have the sophistication to be able to understand the subtext course. when yeah. you both are dancing yeah. toward, the, toward the edge. You know, that brief year, everyone thinks back at Rev 105 that Mary and I did a show together. It's not true. In fact, yeah. we only did a show together for a little over a year at Zone 105. Yeah. The thing was, I was still trying to figure out my way in the world of broadcasting. And Mary, although professional and 
very talented. She also was fucking fearless, and it was terrifying some days to work with her. Like the day that we, uh, Zone 105 had changed its format to alternative classics. So yeah. that meant we were pl- playing a lot of early Cure and bad early Third Eye Blind and things like that, and we came mm-hmm. out of a Blues Traveler song. And she looked at me and said on the air, Brian, would you rather listen to that song again or have anal sex with John Popper? <laughs> wow. I never heard that story. I yeah. was terrified. <laughs> I did not know what to do. My mouth. Dro- so obviously you yeah. and her didn't dance quite that. Di- but <laughs> yeah. she, I think she was done with it at that point. And she's like, I don't care what happens, but it's part of her, her brilliance. But yeah. also you were not afraid because it was a different venue. So when did you start at NPR as an on-air guy? Um, it was that. It was with Mary. At Minnesota uh, Public Radio? I had done a, yeah, I think I had done a package or two for the news side, but I was an editor. I was off Oh, uh, you were? Okay, I didn't realize that. Guy. That's what I came out here as. So as an yeah, editor... Because they had no editorial process per se, no right. infrastructure anyway uh, per se, so I designed a lot of that. And, um, and then they got a big grant to do a website, so I... I shifted to that, yeah. and, and apparently they they wanted somebody else in that job, so they moved me over <laughs> to this blog thing. And uh, but I had done a couple of walk-ons with Mary, um, uh, because they're the person that was supposed to do the news. I, I guess they didn't like didn't like it, and so but we just kind of connected. And so when they got rid of the people that were doing the news, the regular news. Um, Somehow my name came up. I don't know if it came up from Mary or whatever, and I think they wanted a little bit more of a wise-ass approach. The word I would use that describes you and Mary, so you and Mary, your Venn diagram obviously overcrosses in more than one small spot, but the word sardonic is the biggest word in that Venn diagram, and I like it because it doesn't mean disrespect. It doesn't mean a lack of understanding of your chosen craft, but it also means that if we ever stop poking at the outside of the bubble, if we ever stop... If we ever stop being genuine and it feel feeling like real human beings, then yeah. everything's lost. Well, and we all there are things that just don't add up in the news, you right. know. Right. And and this idea that we just have to relay it and not point out that you know what this is absurd. Like when I was uh, fired by the current, they they yeah. put out immediately put out an article that said Brian Oak parts ways with Minnesota yeah. Public Radio. Yeah. Right, you're pursuing other parts interests ways. while you're I interests sure trying did. to find a job. You know? and, and that's, <laughs> Still and, at it, by yeah, the way. Exactly, and so the and. And, and I think we need that more than anything else. Right. We've got this fascist in the White House because yep. we didn't have any of that. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, there's just so much nonsense. And it's not just the Republicans either. You know, there was this thing the other night uh, where they wouldn't let uh, reporters uh, report on a on a meeting in Minneapolis Ludicrous. because they didn't like Ludicrous. Uh, either the demographic makeup of the newsroom at NPR or they didn't like the way they'd been treated, so they just went ahead and violated the open meeting law. Mm. And um, to no, you know, fascism no comes in very small increments. It does, but then all of a sudden uh, it's here. Yeah, and and it's doing well right now. It's and, doing really and, well. Good um, call, Bob. The extent to which news people, in particular, are taking a pass on calling it out, because if you'll notice on this Minneapolis thing, the usual su- uh, suspects on Twitter uh, are saying nothing about this. The usual folks who have everything to say and are, and are established media critics are, are just. 
quiet. Everyone's afraid because they're afraid, and that's the world like. If you we lose your access, right it's over, yeah. and and, and everyone's yeah. you're going to keep losing your access, and it's not going to get better. Okay. Before we get to your second song choice, because we are going to have to wrap things up before okay. too much longer here, uh, I imagine you heard. Uh, you know, you mentioned you referenced a couple of news people who early on inspired you. Jim Lara, who has done the news hour on PBS forever, passed earlier today. Oh, you're kidding? No. Um, oh, that's too bad. Well, I'm sorry that I had to be the bearer <laughs> so, of bad news. That's, you know, I saw some that's stuff terrible. on Twitter referencing Lara, but yeah. I had no idea he passed. And again, I, so I'm not a deep news guy, but there are people over the years, a handful of people. Also, in his so-called retirement, Dan Rather has become perhaps one of the most important news voices that we have in America right now. In that, again, I'm not looking for somebody to articulate a particular political position. I'm not looking for someone to coddle me and stroke me and tell me what I need to hear. But I am looking for people to, as you just said, fascism is doing very well right now. We need to call these things out. If we believe in a free press, if we believe in a true democratic republic, then then we need these kind of people. And I feel like Jim Lehrer, whether it was him for decades on the news hour or him moderating presidential debates, I feel like he is an important figure in the history of American news. Sure. There was a, uh, when Tim Penny, the former congressman from Minnesota, resigned, he was a first district congressman, he resigned uh, saying he couldn't make a difference. And he was on the McNeil Lehrer show. And Lehrer kept peppering him going, what are you talking about? You're one of 435 congressmen, right. for God's sakes. Uh-huh. And here you are saying, I can't make a difference. There's nothing I can do. In my position. So what does that say? And, of course, Penny took a pass on on taking on biting on that. But that was one of the best exchanges uh, that I recall uh, in, in any uh, Jim Lehrer. So R.I.P. Jim Larrab so and um, uh, yeah, me too. And uh, just because we need more people who are willing to at least say something like fascism is on the rise. Yeah. Thank you very much, Bob Collins. Let's get to your second song <laughs> because we are going to have to wrap this up very shortly here. Uh, you picked a song that I would not have guessed. Now I understand yeah. the era you grew up in, and I uh, somewhere in the late '80s lived in a house with five deadheads. Now don't get me wrong; I grew my hair down to my waist got into drugs. Hippie girls were very cute and very fun to hang around with. I'd never got down with the music of this particular band. Now, I'm not mad at them. I don't I, I don't, either, I don't right? disrespect the them. Yeah. But it's well, it's interesting that you chose this then because I would like to know why you chose the song that we're about to... Not, <laughs> well, and again, I, I, it's I don't, not very deep. I chose it because I thought it would be a great song for my funeral. <laughs> I'd say that's fairly yeah, deep. I'm yeah. a ray of sunshine. No, no. And, uh, you, you are you on know? an otherwise cloudy day. <laughs> and see that—that's one of the I mean, reasons I wanted to have you on. Yeah. Um, so this is—it's a, a song about uh, you know the journey we all take, yeah. and the difference we do or don't make, and the fact that eventually we're going to do it all by ourselves, and we're going to be alone in one fashion. Or another, there actually is, if you Google this, there's a really good, like, thesis that someone wrote taking this song apart, which is beyond my means or anything. I just like the song. Uh, And and again, it gets me to think a little bit about mortality and meaning and that sort of stuff.
shack And my tunes were played On the hall of the strum Would you hear my voice Come through the music Would you hold it near As it were your own It's a hand-me-down are broken Perhaps they're better left unsung I don't know Don't really care Let there be songs to fill the air No pebble tossed, no wind to blow. Reach out your hand. If your cup be empty, if your cup is full, may it be again. Let it be known there is a fountain. That was not made by the hands of men. There is a road, no simple highway between the dawn and the dark of night. And if you go, no one may follow. Your steps alone Ripple Still water When there is no pebble tossed No wind to blow You choose To lead must follow But if seems appropriate. Good if call. If you'd like to play at my funeral, if you could just learn those chords and maybe learn the mandolin, we'll, we'll try you out. But I want there to be someone who is the sort of arbiter of quality because I think there are a lot of people who are exceptionally high on bong rips who think like, dude, I can totally nail Ripple. I can totally nail Ripple. Just give me a shot, man. One shot at the title. Isn't that right, Sean? <laughs> yeah, that is correct. <laughs> 
Bob Collins, you said that you don't miss working at all. No. Do you? But you still are very active on Twitter. Are there other forms of social media? Do you still maintain my little bloggy, which is by the way where people can find you at mm-hmm. um, on Twitter at my little bloggy? Do you still enjoy people interacting with you, or sure. do you want these kids to get off your fucking lawn? <laughs> No, it's good for the ego, and I mean, I do the. Uh, I'm an usher over at Target Field for the Twins. Love it. That's and, the dream uh, right there. And, and I always post where I am. <laughs> okay, you know, what good. Section I'm working in case people want to come by. And, and this say is hello. like the whole Twin season. You do this. Yeah, fantastic yeah, it's news. Great. People have been just great. They'll come through the gates and. Well, why wouldn't they? You're Bob Collins. You're huh? you're gonna want to murder me, Brian. But I have to ask you this question. Yeah. Oh no. Here Are we go. you excited about oh, the Smashville? It's plan good. they have, oh, or do you? Yeah. Are you like Donaldson and stuff? I'm excited, but I'm also like, get the pitching. Like, I think they. I don't. I think they've got. A, they'll be fine with it. They're going to score and like 14 a, runs again. I'm not a Twins fan per se. I'm actually a Cleveland Indians fan, uh, but I'm pretty excited about uh, uh, the Twins. I think they can go get the pitching they're going to need at the trade deadline. I hope so. And I think hey, it's going to be so much fun there this year. Just because I'm ignorant of it doesn't mean yeah. I'm not excited. Yeah. Every time I've gone to a Twins game, the place is packed. Here's my problem with baseball. I'm not. I don't care if the Polads are spending money or not. I don't care if the Twins do any good. What blows my mind is here we are, game seven of a 162 game season, and pitcher so and so just shook off the fifth pitch. Yeah. Fuck you! Throw the ball. <laughs> throw the fucking ball. <laughs> yeah, that's it's already. Now, and again, if it's a gorgeous day and it's wonderful right. and you're there with friends, right. fine. I don't Step really have to pay attention. Box. But, yeah. Oh my again. god! State planning. <laughs> again, once we get to playoff time, when every pitch does matter, yeah. then it's kind of exciting. Game seven of an early spring. I'm glad it's a beautiful day. Yeah. You throw that fucking ball and you fucking I don't need a four-hour game or four-and-a-half-hour game. Yeah. Well, if you come out this year, let me know you're coming. So uh, Gladly. Hook up somewhere. Uh, also, I only asked about a third of the questions I wanted to talk to you about. So right. will you someday come back? <laughs> yes. If you if somebody cancels on you, you give me a call. Oh, my God. I'll run right over here. Bob, you're wonderful. Wait, wait, wait. If people want to follow what you do and where you're going to be, what's the best place for them to go? Twitter. Okay, Twitter. Twitter. And I'm doing at- no writing at all anymore. I've, I'm completely... Do you miss that? I thought I would because that's always been an extension of me is yeah. what I write. And I just, I got nothing to say. I got, and I, that's clearly, why I retired. I clearly got nothing has nothing to, to say. Sure. Or whatever yeah. I can say, I can say on Twitter. Well, yeah, you can say in less than 140 <laughs> characters, apparently. So, right. at my little bloggy, uh, Bob, this was wonderful. And I know that when I first reached out to you, you're like, why the hell would you want me on your podcast? Yeah. You've more than answered the question, and you're coming back. I appreciate it. And I wish you luck in the new year. And I hope your twins. Oh, oh you're not even into the twins. I. No, I'm 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 a I'm becoming a Twins fan uh, now. So I, just because you want to keep your job as an usher, I, I, yeah, I, I, I get it. Coming here today, I violated my one rule, which I've told you before: never get on the radio with a guy who has the greatest voice in the history. Oh, that's of radio. ridiculous. That, well, I mean, that's very just, kind uh, of you, but also you super know, ridiculous. Sounds like I'm getting a, a prostate exam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm again. <laughs> There, it, you know, people overuse certain words, and I dropped out of college. I'm not a well-educated man at all. And people are always like, oh, Mr. Big Words. And I'm like, no, bec- the thing about the English language is unwieldy and stupid as it is. The reason I like to go deep on words is the English language, perhaps more than any other language, is able to put a specificity on the, the, the point you're trying to make, you know, which may be lost on most people, but it's not lost on me. So sardonic is not a word that I use very often. Mm-hmm. 
That's you, man. I'm never going to be able. I'm never going to be able to look you in those eyes again and not think of that I'm word. I'm going to go home and curl up at the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Bob. Sean, thank, thank you. you very much. And as we leave, I also want to thank uh, Bridget McGoff Hart and the late Grant Hart because you know when we first started this up, so many people jumped on board the Brian Oak Show that had no idea what it was going to sound like. I didn't know what it was going to sound like. Twenty three episodes in, we're doing better than we were doing before. And a year from now, it's going to be night and day from what it is. But I needed a uh, new mobile computer. I didn't have a laptop and Bridget, who is Grant's widow, reached out and said, let me repurpose Grant's for you. And for those of you who know anything about my story or what has influenced my life, Zen Arcade is, if not my number one album of all time, the album that changed who I was at a very young and impressionable age of all time. So to realize that I am looking up softcore heart pornography on uh, Grant Hart's computer really... Edit. Damn it! Just kidding. That's not what I meant to say. What I meant to say is to realize that I'm using Grant Hart's laptop to help understand, program, research this show. It blows my mind. So somewhere between Bob Collins' almost unforgiving journalism standards and Grant Hart's unbelievable songwriting skills, I wanted to end this way. We'll be back next time for The Brian Oak Show.